Welcome to Grace Abounds. I'm Pastor Jen Shaw, and in this podcast, I'm sharing my Sunday sermons from St. John's Lutheran Church, Palm Desert, California. I'm so grateful that you've joined us, and I trust that these words build you up in faith, hope, and love. During our Fuller Seminary class trip to the Holy Land in the summer of 2011, we visited the primacy of St. Peter, a chapel on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, where, traditionally understood, Jesus appeared to the disciples, including Peter, after his resurrection and before his ascension into heaven. This is where Jesus says to Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says three times, yes, and then adds the third time, you know all things, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Like so many of the sacred spaces we visited during that trip, I was deeply moved by being there. And I recall as we walked to that chapel by the sea, offering as a silent prayer a paraphrase of the words of Peter. You know my heart, Lord. You know that I love you. Peter gives me hope. He is a profound example of the gospel truth that Jesus loves us and is with us even in the midst of our faults and failures. The gospel truth that Jesus commissions us to feed his sheep, to speak his life-giving good news and do his life-giving work, not because we are perfect, but because we are his. And Jesus calls us to remain faithful to him, even as we face the trials and tribulations of life in this broken world. This is the call of Jesus to his disciples in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Jesus offers this parable after his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem and just two days before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. Jesus gives this teaching specifically to his disciples, his followers, his students, after he has told them that the temple will be destroyed. And they asked Jesus, when will this be? And how will we know that you're coming again in the end times? Jesus does not give them a specific time frame. Rather, Jesus tells them to be ready in the meantime for his return, which these first disciples expected to happen very shortly after the ascension any moment, any day now. Matthew was written some 70 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, and so that wait for Jesus to return had become much longer than those first disciples expected. Though it must have felt like the end times to them, the temple had been destroyed. The city of Jerusalem leveled Tens of thousands had been killed as the Roman Empire brutally crushed Jewish rebellions. Those first disciples were facing increased persecution 
as friends and even family members turned against them. They faced the threat of arrest, imprisonment, death at the hands of those who claimed Caesar is Lord because they could not hear Jesus is Lord. And so in his teachings on the end of the age in this section of Matthew, Jesus is calling on his disciples to remain faithful, courageous, loving, peaceful, and hopeful in extremely difficult times. The teaching of Jesus in our reading for today is in the form of a parable. Parables are fictional stories that point us to truth in real life. And so parables are, by definition, open to interpretation. The lesson comes from how we hear the story, how we understand the characters and events, how we see it relating to our own lives. Jesus doesn't tell his listeners what or who the masters, slaves, talents, weeping and gnashing of teeth represent. He leaves that for us to discern. And so, what do you hear in this parable? Now, perhaps this parable sounds like a dire warning about the future, about the life to come, about what happens after the end times. When the master comes again, he will settle accounts. And the first two slaves who invested their talents and made a profit are rewarded with eternal life in the joy of heaven. And that one slave who did not invest his talent and make a profit and only returns to the master what he was given is condemned to eternal torment in hell. In other words, in this reading, Jesus is essentially a harsh slave master who enforces a ruthless code of punishment and reward in this life and in the next, who judges human beings solely based on their works. This is not who Jesus is. As the entire biblical narrative that surrounds this parable affirms, Jesus embodies God who is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love, whose steadfast love never ceases, whose mercies never come to an end, who is good and once good for us all and is working all things together for good, who loves this world so much that he came into it in order to save it. In his incarnation, ministry, life, suffering, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ has saved us, forgiven our sins, set us free from death forever, given us life that does not end. In Jesus Christ, our salvation is assured. Our salvation is not based in the works, talents, or abilities of any human being that God judges to be profitable. Our salvation is based in the free and unconditional gift of God's grace in Christ. Jesus is not a cruel master who condemns us based on our works. Jesus is the compassionate Lord who has set us free by his grace. 
And in any case, this parable doesn't mention eternity, heaven or hell, reward or punishment in the afterlife. We read that into the text. Now, perhaps this parable sounds like at least a tacit approval of the accumulation of wealth through prudent investments. The master in this parable is very, very rich. He is a member of what Psalm 123 describes as the proud and self-satisfied rich. A talent was the largest monetary unit in the Greco-Roman world. One talent was worth roughly 20 years' wages. And so the master who gives a total of eight talents to his slaves gives them a total value of 160 years' worth of wages. Think of the billionaires in our society today. There is also the matter of how the first two slaves multiply their master's money. In that time and place, there were two primary ways that those with capital could profit from investing. Lending to the currency exchange, the money changers in the temple, who charged worshippers excessive fees and exaggerated exchange rates for their own benefit. Or mortgage loans to small farmers at interest rates as high as 50%, which often led those poor borrowers to default on the loan, losing their property and their livelihood. Think of the investors whose greed led to the crash of the housing market 15 years ago. In other words, in this reading, Jesus is essentially a harsh slave owner who profits by exploiting others, who is interested primarily in increasing profit, who enriches those who are already wealthy and destitutes those who are already poor. This is not who Jesus is. Jesus himself was born in a borrowed room into a poor family. During his public ministry, Jesus didn't carry money. He didn't have a permanent residence. He did not accumulate material wealth. At his crucifixion, even his clothes were taken from him and divided among the Roman soldiers. And he was buried in haste in a borrowed grave. In his life and teachings, Jesus counters the prevalent understanding in his society and ours that a person's value is determined by their financial wealth and their social status. Jesus said to the rich young man that he would be complete when he sold his possessions, gave the money to the poor, and followed Jesus. Jesus told his disciples not to store up treasure on earth, but to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. And when Jesus sent them out to preach and heal, he said to them, don't take any extra supplies. Trust in God and those to whom you minister to supply your needs. Jesus said you cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus said 
Blessed are the poor and those who mourn and those who are persecuted because God will comfort and care for and restore them. Jesus did not affirm the worldly systems of financial and social power and their destruction. Jesus countered the harm caused by those systems. He fed the hungry and healed the sick. He befriended the poor and vulnerable and called out the rich and powerful who exploited them. He went into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. Jesus gave his life for ours. Perhaps this parable sounds, as it does to me, like the call of our Lord Jesus Christ to tell people about him in what we say and in what we do with urgency and grace because Jesus is with us and for us now and forever because Jesus has showed us and taught us how to live in the meantime in this broken world and assures us that in the life to come we will enter into the joy of our Redeemer because sharing the good news of life in Jesus Christ is worth the investment of our lives. And so Jesus isn't telling this parable to make his disciples more fearful about what God might do to them and others in the future. Jesus is telling this parable to make his disciples more courageous in doing what we are called to do for Jesus and others right now in the present. Jesus isn't telling this parable to make us more comfortable with this fallen world's systems of financial and social power and their destructive effects. Jesus is calling his disciples in this parable to be more passionate about doing what we can to counter those systems and bring healing and peace and well-being to our neighbors in need. Jesus is telling this parable to his disciples to rouse them to use the talents, the gifts, the abilities, the resources given by God for the glory of God and the good of this world God made and loves right here, right now, in this world, in this time. This is what Deborah, going back to our Old Testament reading in Judges 4, did. Deborah was a woman who lived 3,000 years ago and who used her talents to serve God and God's people. She was a commander who led the people in battle. She was a judge who oversaw the governance and the legal decisions of the community. She was a prophet who spoke in church. And this is what Peter and the other disciples did. Those who first heard this parable and who loved the Lord, they gave their lives following Jesus and his way of sacrificial, triumphant, life-giving love. This is what the Apostle Paul and his friends who traveled the known world 
with the gospel news. Did. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, we are children of the day and children of the light. So we are to stay awake, to be alert to every opportunity to shine with the light of Christ. To be sober, to take seriously the expectation of Jesus that we would do what he actually told us to do. To guard our hearts from fear and selfishness with the breastplate of faith and love. To guard our minds from despair with the helmet of hope in our salvation. To encourage one another and build each other up as indeed we are doing. What do you hear in this parable? And what will you do about it? Amen. Thanks for listening. Each week's episode is edited by Nick Cox. Music performed by our St. John's Worship Band. Sermons by me, Pastor Jen Shaw. Make sure to subscribe to hear each week's message. If you'd like to know more about St. John's mission to know Christ and make Christ known, to share the life-giving word and do the life-giving work of Jesus, visit our website, stjohnslutheran.church. May God bless you on this day and in all the days ahead.